Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast on jewishcoffeehouse.com, the show where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back, Francis. Thank you for tuning in. Some housekeeping before we get started. Our throwback episode for today is Let's Talk About the Issues Brought Up in My Unorthodox Life with Dr. Efrat Brook. Efrat and I talk about the Netflix series. The reason it's a throwback this week is because I recently interviewed Miriam Hart, and we will see whether the episode will actually make it onto the podcast or not. Our sponsor for today is Darcy Nicole. She actually has been interviewed on this podcast before, so you can definitely check that out. But she is also leading exciting online workshops for singers and spoken word professionals. And she will be leading a variety of classes during February and March. For specific dates and prices, make sure to email intentimpactmarketing at gmail.com. Mention The Francisca Show and get discounted prices for the classes you want to take. Darcy Nicole, a.k.a. Davida, knows exactly what she's doing. She's a professional here. And I <laughs> use her services from time to time or all the time because of the music I write and any content that I create that I need to make sure that I properly own the rights to. So Darcy is definitely the person to go to. She goes above and beyond. So check that out intentimpactmarketing at gmail.com and it will be linked in the show notes. If you would like to sponsor a future episode, you do not have to advertise anything. You can just send an anonymous sponsorship and I will thank you. So thank you to the anonymous sponsors for this week as well. And this is how you support the show. If you would like to contribute to the show in a non-monetary way, you can always just share this podcast with a friend or two or three. And this is how you help grow the show. And I appreciate you so, so much. On the WhatsApp group last week, there were a few links posted to different stories, not exactly related to adoption, but to the idea of grownups waking up one day and their life turning upside down after doing a 23andMe. This is obviously related to the episode today and last week's episode. So I appreciate all the people who are posting interesting content and sending interesting topics my way so we can continue bringing out these stories in the From community out to you. So thank you for listening and here is the show. Welcome back to the Francisca Show. Today with us, we have another guest here who is an adoptee from From Birth adoptee, right? Not from from birth, but yeah. Jewish adoptee to share her story. This time we have a woman on as part of our series. And I'm so excited to dive in and learn about your story. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us about you and your story. I just wanted to put it out there that I know that I'm remaining anonymous. And I know sometimes that can feel like one step removed. So I just wanted to address that real quick and say that I'm here to tell my story. I'm here to do talk about my side of things. But adoption is sometimes referred to as a triangle, meaning there's three sides of one story. So there's the biological parents, then there's the adoptive parents, and then there's me, who's the adoptee. So I'm here to just shed light on my side of things, talk about my experiences, but I by no means want to put words in somebody else's mouth. I respect the people who have raised me, and the people who birthed me. So I just wanted to remain anonymous for their sake. But I'm open to have this conversation. I'm open to continuing the conversation. But I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, that's an important aspect to it. Okay. (laughs) A little bit about myself. Uh, Basically, I was born to a Christian family. And before I was born, 
my biological parents decided that they were going to be putting me up for adoption. I'm sure that there are many reasons why somebody would choose to do that. Significant reasons, no doubt. In my particular story, my biological parents had substance abuse issues and financial issues. And they also had other children that they were already taking care of. And they were struggling just to get by with the kids that they already had. And they didn't feel that it was fair to bring another child into this state within their home. And they wanted to give me a better chance at life because they were very much struggling. So I was given up for adoption when I was born. My adoptive parents picked me up from the hospital when I was a few days old. I was raised in a modern Orthodox family. When I was about two years old, give or take, I was converted. And then I lived a pretty typical, classic, modern Orthodox life. Went to the local modern Orthodox school. Did my gap year in seminary. Did the Shidduch dating system for about two plus years. Thank God got married and had a few kids of my own. And then in my late 20s is when I decided that I was going to do a DNA test. And I went on to either Ancestry or 23andMe, and I swabbed my cheek haphazardly <laughs> uh, in hindsight. And the rest is history. I, To keep a very long, complicated story short, I ended up finding my biological parents, and I currently have a relationship with both of them. And it's, uh, it's great. It's fantastic. And I know not everybody is able to find their biological parents if they are looking for their biological parents. So in that sense, I feel very blessed. But it is complicated and sometimes messy. And that's kind of where I'm holding now. Like no neat package at the end of it, but every day learning something new, doing something new. This episode will come out after the first episode. And you know that guest or his story. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously a little different because he wasn't raised knowing that he's adopted like you did. So we're going to talk about your story, but we're also going to reflect upon how things turned out differently for you or how you feel differently about it. So my first question is, why do you think they raised you knowing that you're adopted? Is it because you came from a non-Jewish family, so they needed to convert you and they had no choice? I'm sure there are many reasons. Obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but uh, the one that stands out to me the most, besides for like the obvious, like you were converted, so I'm not sure how we'd dance around that one, is my parents joined some type of support group when they decided to take the route of adoption to create their family. And in that support group, I'm pretty sure all of the families, which were families that were all more or less local and Jewish, but like a huge spectrum of Judaism. And I'm pretty sure that their take, and maybe they had somebody who they spoke to, I don't know, because I was just the child of the story, but their approach was always tell your child. Always tell your child that they're adopted. Never shy away from it. So I can't even tell you, you know, when I was such and such age, I was told or I had this big reveal or my parents sat me down and had a big conversation. That was never my experience. I don't even know when I was first told because I was that little. And they just made it part of our story and they tried to normalize it. And just like you have blonde hair, blue eyes, you're adopted, right? They didn't harp on it. It was relatively it was normal. normal. Yeah. Exactly. It was relatively That's normal. That's what people say about their childhoods, no matter where they grow up, hopefully. I mean, that's the answer I give people. What was it like growing up in Moscow? Like, that's all I knew. That was normal for me. Right. I um, think it's when we are older and we kind of like look back on life. We're like, oh, that was that was interesting. Or I appreciated that they did that, which I do. Mm -hmm. I very much appreciate the fact that I was told in such a normal way, in such a safe and secure way. Are you an only child? I am not. No. Okay. So talk to me about family dynamics, family placement. Can uh, you tell me about your adoptive family, a little bit about them? My parents adopted two children. I am one of them. And we come from completely separate biological families. 
and my parents tried having children of their own. And we're talking over 30 years ago when fertility treatment is not what it is today. And they were unable to conceive. So they had to adopt. So they chose to start their family and they adopted their first child. And then a few years later, they adopted me. Do you feel like you have a leg up other adoptive children because you have someone literally in the same boat in your family? There are no biological siblings, which means that you're in exactly the same position as your sister, brother. Brother. brother? But yeah, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> I hear what My you're saying. My question is, do you feel like that was an advantage? I definitely hear what you're saying. I, I wouldn't want to say I have a leg up. I think each scenario brings its own complexities. My uh, sibling and I are extremely different people. Besides for like how we look and you know anything that one can just see from the surface, we would always talk about nature versus nurture growing up. We are just cut from a different cloth. Love my sibling to death. But I can't say that we were like in the same boat, that we experienced everything the same because we didn't like at all in any sense. Was it nice to have somebody going through a similar process? I'm sure I took comfort in that. I'm sure it made my life feel more quote unquote normal. But we never spoke about it. We didn't like powwow on the couch when we were little and talk about the experiences or feelings that we were having surrounding adoption. Okay, but you did have your own experiences and thoughts growing up. Can you talk to me about that? I mean, I want to start off with that. I know that there's a time and place for adoption. I'm not here to tell somebody that this is not the right route for them. I understand that it's necessary for every part of this triangle that I was talking about. I personally feel that there's this, I don't want to say narrative, but like I personally feel that there's this kind of subtle message given out by the world that how lucky are you, right? You were the chosen one. You got out of a bad situation. Your family was having issues with substance abuse and financial issues. And look where you landed. You have nothing to complain about. You have the best ending possible that you could have possibly had. So there's this feeling of that you need to be appreciative and you need to be grateful. And I'm by no means saying that I'm not. I absolutely recognize that I'm living a much more privileged life than I would have otherwise. But I think that people also tend to overlook that every adoption story is different and everybody's going to experience it differently. But there's no adoption story without loss. Every single story stems from a sad or messed up situation. I don't think anybody would choose, you know, haphazardly to give up their biological child. There's something there that's happening that they feel that they can't keep this child. And then even more so from the adoptee perspective, it's very hard to kind of find your place, meaning my family was accepting and loving and caring and supportive. And they did tell me that I was adopted right away and they weren't trying to hide anything from us. And there was, you know, communication in that sense. But adoptees also, or at least my personal experience, was we talk about it on the surface, but let's not dive into it emotionally. Like, you're so lucky. You ended up where you are. Things are great. And let's keep it at that. Let's not go any further. When in reality, like, I wish that it was expressed more that there's so much more emotions that go deeper than that. I, I think everybody across the board can accept when I say when a child is born, that infant recognizes their mother. You put that baby on that chest and the baby automatically calms down. They do skin to skin to help regulate baby's heart rate and breathing. The baby can recognize the mother's scent. The baby's been listening to the mother's heartbeat and the mother's voice for the last few months of it living inside the womb. There are so many things that intrinsically and naturally connect a newborn with its mother, almost to a point where the newborn doesn't even recognize that it's its own being, that it's itself. They're kind of just like one unit. And when a baby is born, this baby has an expectation that these things will continue. The baby cries because it's expressing discomfort. And I'm not saying that 
infants have this prefrontal cortex where they can understand everything and comprehend what's going on. But I think that society or what I feel the the picture that's made about adoption is that, well, you were a baby, so you can't actually remember what happened. And look, you're living a great life. When, you know, I beg to differ. I may not be able to recall that situation. I may not be able to place pictures in my head of what happened, but I, my body most definitely remembers. It remembers having everything that was secure and comfort completely severed right when I was born. I dare to say, and I could be wrong, that in adoption stories, when the baby is born, the mother says, for the baby's sake and for my sake, we're not going to bond. Take the baby straight to the nursery because I'm sure it's hard for them. They're, the biological mother is going through heartbreak or I don't know, I guess you'd have to ask them, but they're going through something and they choose to try and distance themselves because they believe that this is better for, for the baby. And that baby is taken to the nursery and anything that ex- it ex- expected, anything that it was comforted by, everything that it was used to for the past nine months is completely gone. Just to like add like my own little personal story to that, when I did get to know my biological mother, we had a lot of catching up to do, I'm sure. And one of the stories that really, I guess, stood out to me and stood out to her because she chose to tell it was when I was born, my biological mother said, send her to the nursery. I don't want to bond with her. And they took me to the nursery and a few hours go by and they tried to feed me with the bottle and I refused to eat. And a few more hours go by and they tried to feed me and I didn't eat. So the nurse went into my biological mother's room and said, your baby's not eating. Would you like to try feeding your baby? And she's like, no, I, the baby will get hungry, not that the baby is going to eat. So they kept pushing it off and pushing it off. And then at a certain point, you know, the nurse was like, listen, this baby needs to eat. We need to do something. We need to try something. Do you mind trying to feed your baby? And obviously with hesitation, but... She's also still the biological mother and she wants what's best for the baby. She said, okay, bring me the baby and let's, let's see what we can do. And she said that I was rolled into her room and she picked me up from the bassinet and she said, your eyes opened so wide. Like, it was like you knew exactly what was going on. You knew exactly who I was. And she said, and I put that bottle to your mouth and you guzzled the whole thing down. To me, there's nothing, like, it's so obvious. It's so obvious that like, as much as we don't want to give credit to these newborns, they're experiencing something. They're feeling something. And from that point forward, I stayed right next to my biological mother until my adoptive parents came. And she, she, I was her fifth child. And she said, you were my most alert newborn. She said it was kind of like you were trying to soak everything in. Like you knew what was happening. And she mentioned how, you know, she spoke to me about it and, okay, I know I was a newborn and I probably couldn't really comprehend what was happening, but babies pick up on emotions, right? If you're stressed, the baby feels stressed. And I'm sure that I was feeling all those emotions with her. My feelings towards adoption is that, of course, it's a beautiful thing and it's an important thing and it's necessary, but I wish that there was more acknowledgement that these adoptees who are living such privileged lives and better lives, they're experiencing a, a real trauma. Something is really happening there. And that does carry throughout their life, regardless of if they even themselves can acknowledge it. That story brought me to, <laughs> to tears. Talk to me about how that trauma comes through or manifests throughout your life. I guess I'll just give like a couple of examples that I think most adoptees can relate to we grow up and I guess people like kind of take things for granted and this is you know coming from the best most caring place in the world but what's the first thing somebody says when somebody has a baby wow they're so cute who do they look like and there are comments like this coming from a really genuine place I don't think anybody is looking to harm anybody by that comment but something so simplistic and something that's so ingrained in our society to say, it's like what everybody says when somebody is born is a reminder to the adoptive parents and also to this biological child that as integrated as you are and as supported and cared and loved for as you are in this family, don't forget, you're not really from here. 
And that's just like one silly example. Another example is every time you go to a doctor's office, I was part of a closed adoption, which means I didn't have any information. I would go to the doctor's office and you have tons of papers to fill out. And two, maybe three pages worth is medical history. And you start checking yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. For an adoptee, that's never the experience. It's just a big question mark. They can't fill out. Do I need to look for diabetes? Do I need to look for cancer? Do I need to go for early screenings? Because for some reason, they haven't been privileged or entitled to know their own medical history, to know where they come from, what to look for, what to be careful about in the future. We're denied that against what I'm sure would be what everybody would want, against our will. Not to, you know, sound dramatic, but essentially adoptees are, are part of like this legal contract that permanently changes and alters this child's life without consent. I know that it's for a good reason and I know sometimes that's necessary, but I think people forget the narrative of the adoptee, that there's this child that's being taken away from its roots and then placed in somebody else's hands and they say, well, love can conquer all, right? Love can fix all wounds and it's okay if they don't know who they are, where they come from. And I never personally tried to obtain my um, original birth certificate or anything along those lines. However, I heard somebody else talking about it. And they said that the process to obtain your own birth certificate, your own identity, you have to jump through a million hoops. They said that you need to petition the courts and then the courts may deny you. They may give you access. That's up to them. I think it depends on like what state you come from. I'm, I'm not really sure the legality behind it. And then if they do pass it, all of the information goes to a social worker. And then that social worker transcribes it and takes out all of the details that you're not entitled to. The law makes it so hard for an adoptee to just get their own personal information, right? Just to obtain their own document of when they were born. So, you know, there's like a million instances through growing up we don't have any mirroring, right? We don't look like anybody in our family. We make like silly class projects in school. Make your family tree for homework. That I could. I can make a family tree and I can take the family that I'm currently living with. And, and that feels real to me. I don't feel like I'm faking it. But of course, there's that little voice in the back of your head. Like, well, what are my roots? I kind of just sprouted from nowhere and I became a tree. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Or in biology class, recessive and dominant genes. Why do you have a widow's peak? Why do you have, you know, blue eyes or brown eyes? All of these questions that people just take for granted because that is the normal, natural, biological way of things. And adoptee is like constantly reminded of these things. It could be a fleeting thought. It could be something that they say, oh, yeah, that's a little uncomfortable for me, but moving on. And that's fine. Everybody processes things differently. And I think at every stage in your life, you'll probably process it a little bit differently. But there are you know, tons of reminders that happen growing up. In my interview with our first guest, we did not really go into any halachic or religious aspects. With you, I am sure there's relevant as well. But here, the relevant piece is that your biological family is not Jewish. So you, you're faced with that. And when I called you from from birth, which you technically are from from birth, you just weren't <laughs> Jewish at birth. <laughs> what are some of the halakhic implications that somebody who never thought about it might not know of? I mean, I can only speak from my experience. But when you say halakhic, I'm also assuming you mean just like growing up in the Orthodox world. Yeah. And, and it, whatever that means to you. And practically speaking, the first question that comes to mind is, do you give your adoptive father a hug when you see him? <laughs> That's yes, like the yes. first question I have. <laughs> yes, I definitely do. I can't like quote any halakhic sources for you or, you know, say this rabbi gave me this psak. But I'm pretty sure that the general holding of all this is that if they raise you, meaning you were a baby when you came into their life, it's looked at as if they are your parents. I've never been told otherwise that I cannot touch my adoptive father, to be honest with you. I never really crossed my mind, right? Like, I really feel that this is my family. I really feel that this is my father. But I'm pretty sure that that's the 
the standard that if they raise you, then it's considered in a halachic point of view that it's okay. What other implications may come up? You know, I was thinking about this before we had the interview. What does it mean for me to be an adoptee from a non-Jewish family growing up in a modern Orthodox world? There you um, go. That was one of my questions, <laughs> but I didn't say them out loud yet. <laughs> um, well, it, it all wraps in. It all ties in. I personally love being part of the Jewish community. I love the support. I love this, you know, tight-knit community. We care for each other and we're there for each other. And I'm really glad and feel blessed to have grown up in the community that I did grow up in. But, you know, obviously there are some drawbacks. And like what? We're talking about 30 plus years ago when I was growing up in a modern Orthodox community. And I feel at that time, and I'm hoping things are changing and moving the other direction, but I feel at that time things were a little bit more hush-hush. Nobody spoke about being adopted. Nobody spoke about infertility, along with many other subjects. I'm not singling out this one topic. When you say that, do you mean you knew you were adopted growing up, but it's not something you shared with your friends or were public about? Exactly. My adoptive parents never shared it. They always said that's not our story to tell. So they never really shared with anybody. Of course, the neighbors who saw, hey, you weren't pregnant yesterday and now you're holding a newborn. <laughs> I'm sure they picked up on it. Yeah, it was more of this stigma that you can the sense unspoken in the air. reality. Exactly. The unspoken reality, like in the air, that you don't know how this is going to affect you in the future. So just don't bring it up. Don't mention it. Don't acknowledge it. Being a convert, I mean, that also comes with its own reminders within the uh, Jewish community. For example? When you convert as a baby, you have to reconvert, I say that loosely, when you're 12. Which is dunking, basically, in the mikvah? I'm not even so sure that you have to do that. People hold that you can just acknowledge that you are accepting to stay within the tribe. And then when you're dating... Right? Every form you fill out, if you're going through a shadchan or through a website, are you a convert? Were you born Jewish? Was your mother born Jewish? So you're kind of exposing yourself in a way that it, you wouldn't naturally expose yourself without knowing the person. And of course, that would then come up when you're dating. Hi, I've known you for five seconds, but you already know that I'm a convert, which I wonder what that means. And I'm not saying that it was a whole discussion on a first date, but... You can definitely feel it in the air. You can feel like, oh, shoot, we're on date three, date four. I think it's time that I need to discuss this, whether I fully feel ready to discuss it or not. You mentioned that you dated for two and a half years. Give or take. Give or take. So that means multiple. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> times. Exactly. And I mean, even like now with like my children's school applications, sometimes they'll ask, was your mother Jewish? And I get it. Like, I get it. You want to make sure that these people are Jewish. And when you're dating, you want to make sure that your children will be Jewish. And, I, you know, I'm not naive. I, I understand why it is what it is. But it, it comes with its baggage. baggage. Your pecola. Exactly. Exactly. It's this ongoing theme of it's a big deal, but it's nothing. It's something to be grateful for, but but it's nothing. Or you shouldn't feel anything. You shouldn't see anything because you weren't even conscious right. or understanding when it actually was happening. And people think that it just like stays with when you were born, right? You were just an infant. You don't remember. Let's just move forward. I find that like when I first started to speak with my biological mother, like her theme was stop focusing on the past. Let's move forward. And that's not my reality. My reality is, is that like, no, I want to focus on my past because up until now, I were deprived of it. Yeah, I didn't know anything about my past. And like even more than that, you feel this obligation to your adoptive parents and coming from a, a loving place, not a ball and chain type of obligation, but this obligation to show them that you do appreciate what they've given you and you do appreciate the life that you've led. And what that really translates to is don't ask too many questions because I don't want you to feel as if I'm questioning that you're my parent. I would never want my parents to think that I'm ungrateful for everything that they've given me. 
I recognize that. I acknowledge it. And I love my parents and they are my parents. It's not like, oh, these are my adoptive parents. Absolutely not. This is my mom and this is my dad. I think most adoptees can relate that even if they do choose to speak to their adoptive parents about it, there's this hesitation of, well, I need to take care of their needs because I need to be grateful to them. And there's always a second layer before you start a conversation or ask a question, how's it going to make them feel? And how do I make sure that it doesn't come across from ungratefulness, but out of curiosity? I want to talk about your relationships. So let's start. Who do you want to talk about first? Your adoptive parents? And you could focus on one parent. Then we could go to your biological parents slash siblings, your marriage. Sure. And children. So where would you like to start? Let's just go chronologically. Maybe that makes the most sense. I, I don't know what chronological is for <laughs> biological or adoptive. <laughs> that is a fair point. Well, let's just start from biological parents. I found them a little over three years ago. Were they happy to be found? Yes, ecstatic, ecstatic, which I know is not always the story. I know sometimes people will be told, I gave you up for a reason and, you know, leave me alone. So I also have another, yet another reason to be extremely grateful. <laughs> But yes, they were very happy that I was able to contact them and find them. In fact, they were like, why did you wait so many years after you turned 18 to find us? I think that it was always a a running theme in their house that, oh, when she turns 18, she's going to find us. She'll be able to find us. And it took me, you know, a couple extra years. Is that the case in all closed adoptions? When they're 18, they're able to find out? When you're 18, I think that there are no longer like legal bounds, meaning I think you're supposed to be given access or information if if you, you know, Want seek it. it. Mm-hmm. So you found them and they were ecstatic. I mean, just to find them was an entire process in and of itself. Tell us a little bit. I did the 23andMe and the Ancestry a cheek swab to find out my ancestry and I did kind of like haphazardly. Like, yes, of course, I kind of knew what I was doing and I knew what I could potentially be getting myself into. But I did it more for like, I'm curious about my medical background and maybe I'll find someone, maybe I won't. But like, I'm so happy with my life. What's the big deal anyways? And I kind of just swapped it and sent it in and didn't give it much, much thought. And then I ended up connecting with a half brother and that half brother also happened to have been adopted. So we kind of had this like cute little bond where we're both curious and we're both searching. But now what? Right? We didn't connect with anybody else and we both have nothing else. And a few months into getting to know each other, his interest like really peaked and he hired a private investigator or what some people call search angels. And within a week, I think of him giving over, you know, all of his DNA and all of that, they were able to track down our biological father. And then from there, the the story unfolded piece by piece, little by little, anxiety by anxiety. And then I went from knowing absolutely nothing about myself to getting to know a half brother, which maybe for like two or three months. And then within a week, my, my entire biological family, which consists of, I think, nine half siblings and three full siblings. So it was a lot of names and people to get to know. But I'm, I'm not in contact with the majority of them uh, now. I think everybody was very excited in the beginning and there was this adrenaline rush and, you know, the honeymoon phase and then reality. Is there an awkward piece about you being Orthodox and then being Christian? So I was definitely nervous about that. I was curious what their, you know, point of view of Jewish people were. And it happens to me that they really could care less. My biological mother said that she knew that they were giving me to a Jewish family. And she said, great, religious families, you know, tend to be a little bit more stable or a little bit more wholesome. And she was excited by that. But she by no means knew what it meant to be going to an Orthodox family. Because then as we got to know each other and I shared more and more about myself and my experiences in life and the type of community I live in now, you can tell, you can like hear the reservation in her voice of, Oh, so that, that's what I handed you to. But overall, like my biological mother and my biological father are very accepting, very warm, very caring, very loving. They want to have a relationship with me. It takes a lot of work, honestly. It really takes a lot of effort to 
make that relationship work. There's a lot of, to uh, steal your term from before, baggage to work through, to get through, to discuss. And both parties have to be open to discussing it, right? It's not going to work if somebody refuses to acknowledge all of these, I don't know, painful feelings that you've kept inside of you and all these questions that you've always wanted answered that you never had the answers to. And it's heavy. It's very heavy. All you can hope for is that if you keep communicating and you keep talking about it and you keep working on it, you can hopefully come to a place where I'm in touch with my biological parents now. It's a work in progress. There's a lot of ups and downs. And going back to the other question, being orthodox does make it a little bit harder for us to connect in the way that we would like to connect or, you know, the ideal way of connecting. It, it definitely is harder. Can you give me examples? Is it just like come to our Christmas party and you're like, sorry, I'm <laughs> unavailable. It goes against my values. <laughs> I mean, I do have to say that they're very supportive of the values. They respect it. But yeah, it's complicated. I don't want to expose my children to this outside world. I want to keep them in this bubble as long as I can. And I love that about the Orthodox community. I love that we kind of take care of each other and we all share similar values. And I wouldn't want to impact my children's upbringing because I selfishly want to bring somebody else into my life, which obviously would mean their lives too. That's kind of where we butt heads a lot, that I really want to connect with her and she really wants to connect with me. But how much can you really connect if you know nothing about my actual life. She, I mean, she knows my kids' names and she's heard my husband in the background when I'm having conversations with her. But exactly like you said, I want to send the, my grandkids Christmas gifts. And, you know, you sometimes have to like roll your eyes and be like, no, you don't get it. <laughs> you don't get it. Like you can love them from a distance, but. So that your kids know they exist? No. My kids have no idea that they exist. Do you think when they find out they're going to resent you? <laughs> that next layer of the triangle you mentioned? Yeah, throwing all the heavy questions. No, I don't think they'll resent me. I kind of view it as this is something that happened to me, not to them. I'm still working through it on my end and trying to figure it out and, and see how this all plays out. I'm going to be open with them about it when I, I guess the timing feels right. I obviously need to be open about it with them, right? When they go into the dating world, I'm pretty sure they'll have to disclose that their mother was a convert. I'm pretty sure that's going to come up. I'll have the discussion with them. I, I'm not going to hide anything from them. I'm not going to lie to them. If it comes up, then I'll discuss it with them. I don't think there's any like reason for resentment. Like, What could they possibly say? Why didn't you let me get to know my uh, you know, not Jewish grandparents? Like. They're not lacking. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to ask. <laughs> I'm here to ask and talk. I can hear them asking, you know, just like you felt deprived of your medical history and of your biological family tree. They might also feel that way when they're adults. Just a thought. <laughs> no, I hear you. I, I hear it. I'm obviously not oblivious to it. And first of all, they do have a root. It's called me. So they're not starting from scratch. And they have my entire husband's side of the family. But yeah, I think that when the time is right and if it ever does come up naturally, then we'll approach it in like an age-appropriate type of way so they don't feel that they were denied something. And Okay, let's talk about your adoptive parents. What's your relationship like with them now? Do you feel like it's a typical relationship? Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> How would you know it's not typical? Well, you have right. in-laws, I guess. Right. <laughs> Um, no, I think it's pretty typical. We have a great relationship with each other. It very much feels like sincere and genuine and real. It doesn't feel like we're putting on some, some type of act, right? Like I'll play the daughter role and you play the parents role. The only thing that I can say that's different is when I found my biological family, I chose not to tell my adoptive parents. So I'm kind of stuck in this like... And they still don't know. And they still don't know. So, so of course, it's typical because nothing changed. <laughs> right, okay. exactly. So nothing changed with them because they don't know. But yeah, of course, it's, something changed within me. Something 
things are harder for me, right? I have to put code names on my phone. And in the beginning, I'd make sure my phone was off because I didn't want like my phone to be sitting on a table and for them to be like, oh, who is that? So what about your husband meeting him and like disclosing this? And what was that like? Happens to be that I knew my husband since I was 13. So we kind of just like circled back to each other. And he knew you were adopted or that came out later? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he knew. I was pretty vocal about it in high school, meaning just like my parents raised me to think it's something so normal. I just thought it was something so normal. I didn't think anything otherwise. No, because earlier you mentioned that you did not share it with friends. It was something you were raised with, but it's not something to discuss. I shared it with close friends. I shared it with people that I cared about. I didn't like tell it to the world, put it on like my Facebook profile or whatever. (laughs) So he knew about it. Okay. Do you feel like it at all impacts your relationship in your marriage? Sure. How so? When this all started to unfold many years into our marriage and a few children later, he definitely saw subtle changes within myself. I think it's really hard to, as great as it is to find your biological family, I think it's very hard to then kind of like go back and relive your life with a different lens, reprocess things and put the pieces together, right? I kind of like envision like adoption, like when you're growing up, you're a little kid and you're looking at this puzzle, that's your life. And then as you get older, your perspective gets wider and you take a step back and you start seeing more of the picture and you realize that there are some pieces missing at the end. That's kind of how I view it. You know, when I was younger and I got married when I was younger and I didn't really experience so much, I had a closer view of the picture. And then as I got older, I had my own children, which is an experience in and of itself for an adoptee, right? Your first bloodline, the first person in your life that you can look at and say, maybe they have my eyes. I think those experiences slowly started to build up within me and and pique my curiosity. And I think my husband started to notice that. He noticed that I was not changing. I'm still the same person, but exploring. Connecting with that part of yourself. Exactly. exactly. When I finally did find my biological family for, for a couple of weeks, maybe even months, it was hard. It was really hard. It felt like your whole world was shaking. You couldn't focus. You couldn't stop thinking about it. I would stay up till all hours of the night just like thinking of more questions to ask and is she available to talk and how can I learn more and you have this thirst and this drive that kind of takes over everything. So yeah, he definitely noticed that and it it took adjusting. Now being a few years past that honeymoon phase or that initial adrenaline rush, there's definitely still things, not every day, but every once in a while, we're still discussing what are our boundaries, what makes sense for our family, right? We're not going to have a Christmas party. So it's definitely still a conversation and it makes things more complicated. But at the end of the day, he's super supportive and he recognizes how can I deny somebody, you know, their own journey, their own personal story, their background, their lineage, their ancestry. We work it out together and I lean on him. He leans on me. That's beautiful. Make it work. Do you have any moments you can share after your postpartum self? Anything that you can circle this story with? To be honest, I did not remember this at all. But I was speaking to my husband a few days ago about the podcast. And we were talking about different experiences you have in life that remind you of this or that relate to adoption. My husband turned to me and he said, do you remember what you said to me right after our first child was born? I was like, no. I have no idea what I said to you. And he said, one of the first things you said when the baby came out was, this is the first blood relative that I'm aware of. I didn't remember that, but I think that speaks volumes, right? Like, even though I wasn't in connection with that part of myself quite yet, I wasn't really looking or I wasn't as curious. There was still that part of me that acknowledged and recognized, wow, like this is the first person in my life that has similar DNA, you know, can carry my traits and like we can build this family tree together. Wow. So when you did the 23andMe, did you discuss it with your husband first or did you just do it on your own? Yeah, we discussed it, but let's be honest, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. (laughs) There's a message that you want to spread. What would you like to share? I guess like the whole reason why I was compelled to come on here and share my story uh, was just simply to bring awareness that although I 
wholeheartedly understand that adoption has a right time and a right place. And I love my family tremendously. And I mean my adoptive family. And I most certainly live a far more privileged life now than I would have. And we're talking like monetary wise. I don't think anyone can actually quantify what is a privileged life, right? Nobody really knows what people go through or what their life would have been like. Socioeconomically. Exactly. I definitely live a more privileged life in that sense. But I really just wanted to highlight that a real trauma takes place when a baby is separated from their birth mother. That natural bond, that instinctual bond is broken. I just love like we could walk away from this conversation with the message that I said before, every adoptee has a different story. All the stories vary. As you interviewed the other adoptee, and I'm sure our stories are pretty different, but there's no adoption without loss. Every adoption story is going to have loss. And in my experience, the overwhelming response that people have to adoption is focused on, you're so lucky, you're so fortunate, you live in such a loving home. And they ignore the entire concept of the pain and the trauma that adoptees experience because we were only babies. But how can we heal this injured part of ourselves if nobody's even willing to acknowledge that it's not just a baby that was born that was handed to somebody who is loving and caring and love makes everything better. It travels with us throughout our entire life and all of our experiences. And even if we can't recall it and put words to it, we most definitely remember that it happened. We live with it. And I think that we should attempt to acknowledge some of the struggles and that make space for, I guess, the adoption process, right? It's not just about the adoptees. It's, you know, three pieces of this triangle are involved. Do you think if someone goes through their entire life not knowing they're adopted? Is that possible? <laughs> well, if it is possible. Okay. Are they affected? I think that it is impossible for that to happen between somebody not being pregnant and then magically appearing with a child well there's surrogacy maybe now that's a possibility maybe now <laughs> maybe now but not not so common over 30 years ago or if you are from a family your adoptive family is very dark complexion or you know dark well, eyes dark hair match it like in a scenario in like <laughs> an utopia and you like... could create something <laughs> My my question comes down to is the knowledge, the fact that creates all of this dissonance in the life and all that foundational rebuilding that has to happen? Or are there physiological traumas that happen to the baby that are unable to be masked no matter how much you can mask the entire life and camouflage the reality that the baby is an adoptee? I know you're not a scientist, so I'm not going <laughs> to hold you up to it. But. No, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you how I'm hearing the question, and then you can let me know if I'm getting it right. But essentially, in an ideal world, if we can control everything, which we can't, would it be beneficial for an adoptee to never know that they're adopted? Because then they don't have to reprocess, rebuild themselves. Like the tree, if it fell, but no one heard it, did it fall? That's the concept. It's like the knowledge of it that, that creates the trauma. Mm-hmm. Or is the trauma there no matter what? And there's some physiological things or emotional gaps that are there no matter what because that bond was broken at birth. You know, I actually really appreciate that question because when we decided that we were going to have this conversation, I think the underlying theme here is that I personally feel this sense to prove that something happened, that there was, there is a trauma, there is a separation that happens. And I kept on saying to myself, that's not enough. That's just your feelings. People aren't going to be convinced by some random person's feelings. I started digging into the neuroscience behind it and neuropsychology behind it. And there's definitely information out there. I can tell you little snippets that I personally took away, but I am definitely not a neuropsychologist. uh, And I don't know exactly how everything works within the body. But there was very compelling arguments. Dr. Gabor. Mate or Matt, and he's been studying adoption his entire career. And he was explaining how our sympathetic nervous system, when we're born, goes haywire. The sympathetic nervous system is responsible for the fight or flight within us. Our adrenaline spikes. We don't know where we are. We don't know what happened to that person that we were with for the past nine months. 
And the way that our neural net, the neurons within our brains start forming and programming, right? Because we're not a computer. We're not born ready to go. We wire as we live life. And those initial wirings go crazy. They go haywired because you have adrenaline running through your body and your serotonin is dysregulated, which is what helps you calm down and relax yourself. And they say that adoptees are four times more likely to commit suicide. And they say that adoptees are overrepresented in therapy. And they say that adoptees have a heart, are diagnosed with ADHD because the wiring that happens so early on when we're born, and not only adoptees, we can apply this to a person who's put into an incubator or a person who goes into the foster care or whatever it is, not only adoptees. But there's, there is, if like somebody's interested in it, there really is science behind how there is a physiological change. Would I know that growing up? Would I be able to feel my neurons wired differently within my brain? Would I be able to feel this like existential piece that's missing? I don't know. I mean, the science is there, right? The data is, the data is there and I'm sure there'll be more and more as time progresses. Absolutely. There's definitely something there beyond just I feel. Thank you so much for doing this episode. I really appreciate it. If anyone wants to connect with our guest, please do reach out to me and I'll happily put you in touch. And thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for doing a series on this. Thank you for listening until the end. If you enjoy this podcast, you will probably enjoy Orthodox Conundrum, Intimate Judaism, all on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. The Francisca Show is a part of Jewish Coffee House Network. And if you would like to sponsor a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. Please don't hesitate to reach out with any feedback and comments. I love hearing from you and I love having conversations with you. I'm working on new music that's going to be coming out shortly. So stay tuned for that. If you're thinking of launching a podcast, I have a DIY course for you that will take you step by step. So check out the links in the show notes. If you'd like to join the WhatsApp group, please be respectful and welcoming to our new members. If you'd like to join, send me a message and I'll send you a link. We have had some requests and doing a few more No More Silence episodes. So if you or anyone you know who would like to come on and share their story, please do contact me. I'd love to share my platform with you. And have a fantastic rest of your week. See you next time. 